Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? My name is Tim, and uh, if it's your first time here, uh, or maybe your second time, you've maybe not seen me up here before, uh, it's good to have you with us, and good that you chose today to be with us this morning. Uh, we're in a series of lessons called First. Uh, we decided to call it First, and hashtag, I guess, is Living God's Priorities. We're looking at how do I live out uh, God's priorities when I put God First. Now, we understand first. Many of us here, I'm sure we all do, we know what it's like to come in first. We want to be first in line. One of the things at primary week, if you've been down at church camp with me, as soon as the last amen is said at lunch, guess what happens? Everybody's running, especially at breakfast, running to get first in line. And it's always the boys. And we have to tell the boys, you've got to let the girls go first. And then there's this disdain toward the female section of camp, I guess. I don't know. It's sad, but um, the boys learn um, about uh, the first will be last, last will be first. We don't admire runner-ups. We don't even remember second placers. If you stop and think about it, uh, Gary and I were arguing, or arguing. We were discussing Buzz Aldrin. You know, what did Buzz Aldrin say when he landed on the moon? And he joked. He said, "Nobody will remember me." And that's true. He's the second guy on the moon. You know, we all remember Neil Armstrong, the first guy on the moon. There's a guy named Walter Hagen who was a professional golfer. He used to golf against people like Bobby Jones and, and uh, Ben Hogan. And look what he says. He's the first guy to say this. No one remembers who came in second, and that's true. You all have heard of Jack Nicklaus, 18 majors, but did you know he finished 19 times in second place? I didn't know that. Didn't know that till this week. We don't remember second place. We, we don't admire uh, runner-ups. We're not into that. We like firsts. We like firsts. First man on the moon. First person across the Atlantic, first person to fly over the Atlantic, Charles Lindbergh. We like the first things. Uh, first things first, we'll even say. Uh, we like gold medalists. We praise gold medalists. Silver medalists and bronze, well, we, we tend to have trouble recalling what, they, what they've done. Kevin Durant uh, said these words, I've been second my whole life. I was second best player in high school. I was the second pick in the draft. I've been second... In the MVP voting three times, they came in second in the finals. I'm tired of being second. <laughs> and last Friday, he got his second MVP uh, in the NBA finals. Um, D- Dale Earnhardt said this, not Ricky Bobby. Dale Earnhardt said this. Second place is just the first place loser. We all know what Ricky Bobby said. If you're not first, you're last. And remember what his dad said? Bobby, I was high when I said that. <laughs> Right? We don't like second. You know, God doesn't like second either. In fact, He looks at second place a lot like Dale Earnhardt. First place loser or last place. That's how He sees it. Um, look at this Scripture with me. It says here in Deuteronomy 5.7, You must not have any other gods besides Me. I think a lot of translations say, Before Me. And you say, well, there are there other gods? Aren't there only one God? Well, yeah, but let's be honest, folks. There's a lot of things that, that are gods with the little g, am I right? They become those gods. The things we own, maybe people, maybe an idea. A lot of, a lot of different things become gods in our lives, even ourselves. And God says, look, I, I don't want any other god. I want me to be the only God. I want first place. And then he goes on to say, for I am a jealous God. He makes it real clear. I won't put up with being second. I'm either first or nothing at all. And here in Colossians 1, we've been looking at 
Colossians this year. It's We got our theme from Colossians. Look what the Bible says here, what Paul says. Talking about Jesus here, he says, He is the head of the body, which is the church. Everything comes from Him. He's the first one who was raised from the dead. So in all things, Jesus has first place. Jesus is supposed to be, I think one translation says, have supremacy. What's that mean? That He's in charge. That He's first and nothing else. In fact, He would say, Luke 12 will give us a little idea of first and second and third and all that stuff. He'd say, wherever your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will also be. In other words, whatever's first. You want to know what's first in your life? What do you think about the most? What do you talk about the most? What do you plan around the most? What do you spend most of your time working on, investing in? Where, are, where, where do you reserve your best efforts? What do you reserve them for? And that will give you an indication of what's really first in your life. So in this series, we've been talking about this. We've been talking about this idea of what happens when you put God first in your life. Everybody claims, you know, we can say, I don't know anybody would say, God is not first in my life. We would readily, we would quickly say, well, yeah, God is first in my life. Who would, who would admit He's not? Right? The truth is, Jesus said, people can honor me with their lips, but their hearts can be far from me. They can say I'm first, in other words, but I'm not. And so the question I have for you this morning is, as we get into some things of this series, is, is God first? Is God really first? Can you not just say it, but can you prove it that He's first? You see, in this series, we, we're going to learn some things that happen when you put God first. First of all, everything else in life will kind of work its way in order when God is first. That's, that's, that, that'll happen. When God is first, it changes everything the way I look at things, my outlook. It changes my choices and my decisions. And I also, when I put God first, I honor God and I'm, and I'm able to please Him. And he, most of all, He blesses my life. He really blesses my life. So today I want to talk about what happens when you put God first with your finances. Now, if you're a first-time guest here, you're going to say, good grief, you churches all talk about money. Uh, we don't. We don't really talk about money very much. Um, and I'm not just talking about money in general. You might hear me say that. I'm talking about the things that we have, the things that we own, the things that we possess, the materials, the blessings that God has given us. What happens when uh, He's first in my life? You see, you, you can tell a lot about where people are when it comes to relationship with God by looking at two things. Their checkbook and their schedule book. How they spend their money and how they spend their time. I've believed that for years. You want to know what's important to you? Just go down your purchases on your charge card. Or go down your checkbook and see how often you're sharing, you're spending money on your own stuff versus you're using it for the glory and honor of God. It says a lot. Now, the reason I say that is because the essence of Christian living is giving. To live a Christian life is to live a generous life. It's to hold on to my things loosely because they're really not my things. Now, I, I know some of you here are going, well, I don't have a lot of things, Tim, so I guess that counts. Me. Listen, you don't have to have a lot of things. You can have just a few things. And still, God wants you to live generously. In fact, we're going to see that here in a minute that there's some churches in Macedonia that were dirt poor. 
And yet they begged God, they begged Paul, let us be involved in giving. And they didn't have much to give and they still wanted to participate. Now before we talk about this church in 2 Thessalonians 8, I want to look at a little bit about how what's the Bible say about, about money or finances in general. There's lots of stuff. There's lots of stories. Lots of people. Lots of verses. You know, love of money is the root of all evil. You know, things of that nature. There's, there's, um, there's people that were rich in the Bible. People that were poor in the Bible. There's all kinds of discussions you could have about it. I just want to point out a couple that I notice, okay, that's benefited my, of me over the years. The first one is how I manage my finances reflects how I really feel about God. That's the first thing I notice when I read my Bible. That how I manage my finances really says a lot more about God, not just about me but how I feel about God. Jesus said these words, you cannot worship two gods at once. One time I was at church camp. I was a teenager, so I was stupid. And there was a night called twerk night where the girls asked the guys. Now at this church camp, there were four girls for every guy. Yes, it was awesome. It's in the 70s, you know. I had long hair. I looked cool. At least I thought. And a girl asked me if... I would be her date on twerk night. And I said, sure. And there was a problem. Another girl asked me. And I said, sure, to her. So I had two girls. I know I'm a jerk. There were two girls. And so here I was. This camp was 400, over 400 campers. So it was a big party. And I had one girl on one side, you know, just like the movies. One girl on one side of the party. Another girl on the other side. And I was going back and forth. I had to use the restroom a lot that night. Had to get something. You know, I was a real servant. Want something to drink? I'll be right back. And then I'd go talk to the other girl. Well, they found out what I was doing. I learned you cannot date two girls at the same time. You cannot worship God, two gods at the same time either. You'll either. He says here, look, loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. It's one or the other. It's a clear line. You can't love both. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You, you, it's, there's no middle ground. You can't worship God. And then he says, and money both. Money, he mentions. Money's a God. I think we have a phrase in America. It's called the almighty, yeah, the almighty dollar. It has so much control in our lives, doesn't it? Money deceives, and things, they, these possessions sometimes I find end up possessing me if I'm not careful. They dictate what I'm going to do, how long I'm going to do something, where I'm going to live, where I'm going to work. It's, a, it's amazing how powerful money is. It's a very powerful thing. And it's interesting to me that Jesus mentions money specifically as a God. And I want you to know, when preachers talk about money, you may think uh, they're trying to line their pockets or get a raise or something. I think most of you know I have no dog in the fight here, right? Okay, I really don't. That's not what it's about. It's God isn't interested in getting your money. He's interested in getting what it represents. You know what I'm saying? It re- represents that sacred place that we, you know, we're very careful. No one knows what I owe. No one knows. We we treat it such with special respect. Lo- uh, uh, money um, is, according to the scriptures, is more of a tool. It's a great tool in our life. It's a lousy tyrant. 
And sometimes for many of us here, money has fooled us. We've, like, the, like Paul used to say in, in to Timothy, because of the love of money, many have fell into a trap and have shipwrecked their faith over money. And, uh, and so I want to encourage you to know, first of all, how you manage your money. It's a tool. It should never be a tyrant. It says a lot about how you feel about God. Look at this passage here again uh, in Proverbs. Honor the Lord by giving Him your money and the first part of all your crops. How do, how do I show God that I honor Him? He's first of my finances. He's the first one I consider what I'm going to do with the blessings and the possessions that I have. Number two, the Bible says this about money. Life is truly secure with a rich relationship with God. When you read the Scriptures and you read about money, you find out that the Scriptures teach that security is not from finances, but from a faith in God. That's where you find true security. Jesus said this in Luke 12, don't be greedy. Owning a lot of things won't make your life safe. Is that true? You know, finances can go up and down. Right now, things are good, aren't they? And Trump's been doing a bunch of stuff. Jobs are up. Unemployment's down. They're thinking wages are going to go up. And they're thinking, man, things are getting really well. They think he's going to be reelected just like that in 2020 because of our economy. That's how much we put into it. But you and I know, as all too often, the economy, it fluctuates, doesn't it? You can't count on money. You can have a lot of money. doesn't mean you're happy. Who's this fella that... Um, Recently committed suicide. Yeah. He was worth $16 million, his net worth. $16 million, and he killed himself just a couple of days ago. Now, true security doesn't come from the things we have, the things we own. They don't ensure life is safe. In fact, Jesus follows this passage with a story about a fellow who's been so blessed he decides he's going to build bigger barns. And after he does, he says, I'm going to take life easy. He's told, you fool, this very night, you're going to lose it all. You're going to die. And then who's going to get it? And then he says these words. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship toward God. And that's what I learned when I read about it about the Bible and about money. In fact, he says he later says this in Luke 12, sell your material possessions. In other words, don't hold on to them. And give the money to the poor. Then he says, make yourselves wallets that don't wear out. Make a treasure for yourselves in heaven that never loses its value. That sounds secure, doesn't it? It says, in heaven, thieves and moths can't get close enough to destroy your treasure. In other words, there's a bank you can bank on. It's better than the FDIC. And it's a heavenly bank. It's investing in eternity. The third thing I notice when I'm reading about what the Bible says about money is that God wants me to use His blessings to help other people. It says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God. I couldn't help when I noticed that. I highlighted that. Because on our money right now, we have this phrase, in God we trust. Have you noticed that? I started pulling out my dollars, and I noticed that. And it says it on the $5 bill, and it does say it on the $20 bill. I had asked somebody, can I see your $20 bill? And there it was. 
and God we trust. This hasn't been on there very long. It's only been on there since 1956. And for whatever, you know, there's other reasons why we have this, this phrase and it's our national motto. Uh, there's other reasons why it became that in the 50s. But I think it's interesting that when I write, every time I open my billfold and I look at money I have in my pocket or a coin I'm about to spend on a soda, it says those words, in God we trust. To remind me, don't trust in this money, but trust in the Lord and use it to help others. He says, trust, their, their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works, generous in those, to those in need, always being ready to share with others. One of the things I thought was interesting was the GDP, the G7 summit just happened if you up in Canada, and Trump kind of just disrupted the whole thing, you know. And I didn't know this, but they added up the GDP of the other six countries that make up the G7. And the United States has, a, has greater GDP than all the other six countries combined. We're in a rich nation. So if it occurs to you, if it's crossed your mind, well, I don't have a lot. Let me tell you, you've got a lot more than a lot of people on this planet. We live in a very blessed nation, a very rich nation. And the reason I say that is because a lot of times we think, well, I don't have anything, and therefore I can't share it. We all have something. One of the things I've been very encouraged by is listening to some of you talk about how you're trying to find ways to give to this special contribution. And you're not just looking at your bank account, but you're looking at other ways to do it. And I think that's so exciting. Now, one of the examples in the Bible I find, I find a very good example of some churches who trusted God with their finances are the churches of Macedonia. You find them in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. They're mentioned there. And what I'd like to do is, if you've got, if you've got a Bible or your cell phone, you can turn to 2 Corinthians 8. We're going to read that here in a minute. Some of the churches in Macedonia uh, that are mentioned in the Bible are churches like Thessalonica, Philippi, and Berea are a few. And Paul is talking to the church at Corinth here. And he's saying to the church at Corinth, he's trying to find a way to encourage them to contribute to a cause or to some help to help the church in Jerusalem, the very first church in Jerusalem. The first church in Jerusalem is having a hard time right now. They're going through a tough time. Some say a famine. A lot of them are, are poor. They don't have enough to eat. And so Paul is appealing to these Greek churches, these Gentile churches, who happen to be going through some good, some good times, to, uh, especially Corinth, to contribute to helping this church in Jerusalem. By the way, you wonder what's oh, been pointed out to me, and it's true. One of the reasons this church is poor in Jerusalem is because they sold their possessions and they sold all kinds of things to help the gospel spread. And so the gospel had spread to these Greek cities, to these churches. And so Paul is asking these churches, would you help these people who sacrificed for you? Would you turn around and sacrifice for them and help them? And he uses 2 Corinthians 8 here to encourage Corinth to do that. Let's pick it up. We're going to read verse 1 and read for a while, and then I'll get into some other stuff here. And now, brothers, verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the, the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. This church was poor. The Greek language behind this idea 
of the uh, extreme poverty means they were poor with like five O's. Okay, poor. They had very little next to nothing. Somebody said dirt poor. I read, uh, said that's how poor they are. And it says here that they are yet generous. It says in verse 3, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had, had earlier um, made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Is giving generosity just as important as faith? Yeah. Just as important as what I say? Absolutely. Just as important as Bible study? Absolutely. Just as important as loving other people? Yes. And we're to grow in it as well. Verse 8, I am, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test you Test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that, so that you, through His poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable, or according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. By the way, I, or I noticed something as I was reading through these passages. There's not a set amount. There's no amount, no amount goal that Paul is saying, there's $100,000 we want to get, or... 50,000. There's nothing like that. Or 100,000 drachma, whatever you want to use the term there. There's no specific goal. It's just, it's just based on their faith and gratitude to God. And I'm, you know what, we were talking about this. I'm hoping the next time we do a special contribution, we just don't even have a set amount. We're Americans. We gotta have that goal, right? You know, what's the tallest pole vault? Or what's the tallest jumper? What's the fast? We gotta have that number attached to it all the time. And the Bible kind of leaves it leaves it numberless for a reason. Maybe it's because the focus is not the amount, but the willingness, the heart, where God resides. Does that make sense? And that's what I'm hoping we'll do. We're kicking that around. But thinking maybe next time, let's do that this way. Let's just, let's just uh, make it about faith and not about how much, how much we, we uh, have here. Then he goes on to say, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As is written, He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Now in chapter 9, verse 6, I want to pick it up there. See, He says this to them. After he gives a, a... kind of a detail about how it's going to work. He says in verse 6, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each man should give what he decided in his heart to give. See, when God's first in your life, He's first in your heart. 
you'll have no trouble figuring out how much. You decide in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. You know, I want to tell you, you know, this special contribution, we have on purposely made sure there's no manipulation going on, no pressure on anybody. Why is there pressure, by the way? You ever have felt that pressure like I gotta give? There's so many different motives we can give our money. You know, there's the motive of pride. Well, if I give this, people will think I'm something. Then there's the, well, if I, if I give, maybe I can get ahead somehow. Or maybe if I do this, if I contribute to this, um, people will get off my back. I know people have given because of guilt. And none of those motives are in this passage. We're not to give under pressure. Oh, I'm giving. I've told you for years. I got to confess. I've told you for years that tithing. We should be. You know, the Bible talks about tithing. The Old Testament talks about tithing. And 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 one of the things that I've discovered in this passage that is that um, tithing is more about giving by a rule. And that's not in the New Testament. That it's not about. You say, well, is there anything wrong with giving a tenth? Nothing wrong with that. I'm not. Denying, I'm not saying. It's a, is it a good place to start? I guess it's a good place to start. But if you think, well, if I've given a tenth, then I've done my duty. See the motive in that? That's more of a rule following than a relationship with God. It's based on satisfaction that I've done what I've the minimum. When God has been so incredibly good to me, and so so I. I, I, I'm revisiting this tithing thing because under compulsion, under pressure, or even a rule can do that. Well, I better do this because the, the Bible says this amount. Well, he says that you don't want us to give that way. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. I'm not very cheerful when I'm giving because I'm told to. I'm not in a good mood when, some, when I feel like i got to do this or I'll be looked at like a like a selfish miser. Anybody follow me here? God wants me to be cheerful about it. And He says, so I leave it up to you, Tim. And He leaves it up to each of you. In your heart, where the Holy Spirit dwells, what I decide I'm going to do with my stuff. What I'm going to do with the money that God brings into my life. How I'm going to use it. And God, look at this, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, He who scatters abroad uh, abroad His gifts to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now, one of the things I've noticed is, I'm getting way ahead of myself, Um, it's been a crazy week, so I don't care. One of the things I'm noticing is, is that God does take care of you when you put Him first with your finances. Okay? I noticed that. I, you hear these preachers will say, you give this dollar and God will give you back two. You know, you hear that kind of stuff. And sometimes maybe it does work out that way. But you know the satisfaction I get where God blesses me in my future? And I see not only you and I uh, investing in eternity, because it all counts. It all counts. But I get to see people become Christians. I get to see my kids grow up in a good church. I get to see my grandkids in a good family. I can't put money on that. I've been trying, I think, well, God, I gave, I gave, you know, I've given thousands, of, I'm, t- I'm not, don't brag, I've given thousands of dollars to this church, okay? Thousands of dollars. 
And I'm thinking, what what do I get back? More than I gave? Tons more than I gave? You cannot outgive. God is true. And I sit back and I watch some of you, some of you are growing and there's, uh, Chrissy's not in this, she's not here. She's in the back, I think, teaching kids. I'm watching Chrissy Harders grow. How do you put, how much was that? How much, how much, uh, how much do you put on there? You know, how much money goes there? I don't know. See, there's no amount. It's this faith in God with what I have in here. That's, and it plays out. And God just brings it back and keeps bringing it back in so many different ways. I just praise God for that. Now He who supply, He does supply seed for the sower and bread for the food will also supply and increase your storehouse of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. That doesn't sound like dollar for dollar. I put in one, I get two. It sounds like I put in one and I get a whole lot more than two bucks. You know what I'm saying? I get more than a bank account. I get righteousness. You'll be made rich in every way. In every way? What do you mean every way? In every way, Tim. Just look around. Count your blessings. You can't miss it. You'll be made rich. You will be made rich. Hmm, that sounds like a... Uh, what do you call them? The gangsters, you know? He's made. He worked his way up, right? He's, he's made. He's made man. You know, he's getting extra money. He's getting extra stuff. And he says he'll make you and I... Make us rich in every way so you can be generous. You mean I could do this again and again and again? Absolutely. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only surpassing the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing, listen to this, because of the surpassing grace given you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. What are you, what are you, what are you driving at, Tim? What are you trying to say this morning? Trying to tell you that when you give yourself first to God with your finances, Paul helps us understand this. Something occurs. Something happens. The first thing is, I will generously express appreciation for what God has done in my past. I'll find myself generously expressing my gratitude to God because of the grace He's given me for all that He's done for me. You see, when you put God first in your life, He not only opens your heart, He opens your hand. And that's what He's telling these Corinthians about the Macedonians. Let me tell you about the grace given to these people. Let me tell you why they're giving the way they are. They're giving the way they are. They're pleading. They don't even have anything. They're giving beyond what we thought they could even do. How are they able to do that? How does... does, they didn't have anything. They're, they're poor. They've been picked on. They've been going through severe trial and severe trials. And Jews were behind that. And they're asking to give to help a church filled of former Jews. And they're begging. 
we want to be, we want to, can, can I be involved in this? Can we, you guys got, you know, you got it pretty rough. You know, maybe you need a pass. We don't want a pass. We want in a, why? Because our hearts are so full of gratitude for what God has done. Like I told you, there's all kinds of motivations. Pride can be a motivation. Selfish ambition can be a motivation for giving money, for being generous, manipulating people, owning people, bossing, you know, controlling things, all these things. Guilt can be a motivation. But the greatest motivation of all, folks, the purest of the purest motivation that you want to have is gratitude. It's gratitude. And so you have to step back and step back and go, you know, before you come up with an amount, before you say, well, this is what I'm going to do, I need to count my blessings. I need to count my blessings. And I've been watching some of you, and that's what you've been doing. So excited for many of us here, because you're sitting back and going, you know, God's been awfully good to me. And I've heard people say things like this, about this special contribution. The amount I was originally going to do, I just don't feel like that's going to work for me. What, somebody pressuring you? No, I'm feeling this something inside me pulling at me, being, constraining me, stretching me. I had listened to a young man this week say, Tim, remember your first lesson at the beginning of the year? You said something about that when we give, it stretches our faith. I don't want to stretch. And he tells me this amount of money and he says, I just don't believe that's going to stretch me. I went, wow. Stretch. Stretch, Lord. Stretch us. Look what he says to the church of Corinth here. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor that you through His poverty might become rich. He's telling this church here, if you're trying to figure out what to give, just remember how your God gave. That all of it was on the table. That He gave more than anyone else. He was rich and He became poor. So you and I could be rich. God is a giver. You want to live like Christ? You want to live like the Lord? Be a giver. Be a generous person. That's what He was. I know there's various ways to express our love to people. I know there's the five love languages. There's the words of affirmation, quality, time, you know, touch, you know, uh, all these uh, acts of service. But the one for many people, giving gifts, that says I love you. There's no more practical way to say you love somebody than by giving them a gift. Now, that's not because my birthday's next week. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Okay? I'm just saying. There's nothing like when you get a gift or you give a gift. It says something. It says you matter. And see, when we give, when we're generous with what God has given us, because it's not really ours, folks. I know your name and my name are on the paychecks. And your name and my name are on the titles and on the deeds, but we know they come from the Lord. We learn that. Everything belongs to God. But I'll tell you something. There's just something about when I, when I am generous, when I, 
I hold on to those things loosely. When, I, when I'm able to share it with others, I'm saying, Lord, I love You. Thank You so much. Thank You for blessing me. I care about You, Lord. I care about what, what uh, You care about. And I appreciate everything You've done for me. It says in 2 Corinthians 9, this service that You perform is not only sur- supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. The people who receive it thank God, and the people who give it thank God. So when I give myself to God, it, if God is first, and I, and I give my finances to God, and He's first in my heart, it can't come out any other way but with this extremely generous appreciation. I express it that way. Number two, I openly evaluate how I'm currently using God's blessings. I'm, I'm thinking about, well, how am I using those blessings now? When God is first, it just changes the way I see things and how I use the things that God has given me and what does He want me to do with them. Look what He says here again in 2 Corinthians 9. Remember this, the person who plants a little will have a small harvest. The person who plants a lot will have a big harvest. Each of you should give as you have decided in your heart to give. You should not be sad when you give. You should not give because you feel forced to give. God loves a person who gives happily. I notice there's a farming reference there. I grew up on a farm. Did you see that farming reference? It says that one plants a little, has a small harvest, and the person who plants a lot has a big harvest. It occurred to me, you know, that's what farmers would do. They keep back some of their own seed and they would plant it again. They, would, they, they wouldn't sell it, but they would reinvest it. They would take it and plant it. And, and, and in order for them to have a harvest, they had to use what they had, their own seed. And he's re, what is he saying? He's, again, he's reminding the people in Corinth, people have sown seed for you before you were here. I think about, every time I go to church camp, I think about all the camp boards how they do it. How does Little Prairie do it? How does Little Egypt do it? How does Zions Hill do it? How does, how does Louisville do it? Epworth Youth Institute is what that camp was called. It sounds like crazy people going there for a week. I don't know what that meant. I just I think about all the different boards, all the different people, the generations of people. These camps have been around for generations. How are they able to do that? Because somebody plants a little bit, and they harvest, and the next generation takes that and plants it a little bit, and they keep paying it forward and paying it forward and paying it forward. I've said this to you before. You sit in a building. Many of us here sit in a building we haven't paid for, or we didn't think up, sit in chairs, or bought by someone else. You know, we, we, we really are benefiting from other people planting, and we're harvesting some of this. And this church in Jerusalem, you just you check them out. Very generous. They 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 sacrifice so much to see the gospel spread. And now it's your turn and my turn, see. Every time we write a check, it's not just to keep the lights on. It's not just to pay for staff or pay for repairs and things of that nature. It's to pay it forward so the next generation, the next group. And it's all because you, you are being generous. 
but it means we sit down and go, what am I going to do with it now that I have now? A lot of people have this wait and then. Well, I'm going to wait until if I get then I'll do it. Or I've had people say, well, when I retire or when I pay this off, then I can give more to God. That's not what the Macedonians are doing. That's not what God, God's calling or Paul's calling Corinth to do. So what are you going to do with it now? Like I say, I've been hearing all kinds of stories about special contribution. I've been hearing people, they're, you know, people are thinking, they're evaluating, they're, they're examining their stewardship, and they're changing their amounts. I'm watching people change their amounts constantly. You know, uh, in your bulletin, for example, you know, uh, there is an excerpt or a little, little handout about Applebee's down at Wood River, and it says Alds participating. I've been led to believe maybe they're not. It's just Wood River, possibly. And today, if you go down there and have lunch, percentage of what uh, you purchase goes to special contribution. Chrissy Harders is behind this. Chrissy goes, you know, Tim, I don't have anything in the bank. I don't have a lot of stuff, but I know what I'll do. I can organize something. I can plan something. These are exciting to see. What, what am I? Instead of saying, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to? No, it's like I know what I can do. I'll, God's going to help me figure something out. I know we've had Pokemon cards sold. We've had eBay's going crazy. Craigslist is going crazy. And, and um, it's just cool to see that the amounts that are being determined in this room are not being determined by, by anything but gratitude and faith. So I'm confident we're going we're to blow out whatever the number is. We're going to be just fine. And yes, there might be different amounts of money in this room. But listen to me. They're all important. You say, well, you're just saying that. No, that's, they're all, the Bible says they're all important. When the willingness is there, the Bible says. When the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. Not according to what one has. I'm sorry. According to what one has. Not according to what he does not have. The willingness is what makes the difference. You know, yeah, there'll be different amounts, but the same hearts, same willingness. That's what He's calling us to be. And so, when God is first, I seriously look at how I manage His blessings, and and I hope that you not only only as you're looking at a special contribution coming up in just a couple of weeks, but you'll think about that regularly. Just now, how am I, how's it going to change the way I am, period, with what I give on a, on a weekly or monthly or biweekly basis? Because God, all God calls us to do is to look at what we have, ask how can we use it, and then decide from there. It's not me. I'm not deciding your amount. You're not deciding my amount. It's you and the Lord. And when he's first, he'll help you figure that out. Number three, when I give myself to God, I'll confidently expect God to meet my future needs. I can, I can confidently know God's going to take care of me. I'll never forget years ago, um, we had a special contribution. I can't remember which one it was. I just remember going, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know if I can do that. What if, what if. Had that all that going on. And I remember my mother talking to me, and I had my hand against, we just built a new shop. The company had just built over a hundred thousand dollar shop. I had a new new place to put in auto glass. And I've got my hand against the wall and leaning up against it and I go, Mom, I just don't know how I'm gonna do this. I don't know how 
I just don't know how that's going to work. How's I don't know if I can do this. And she goes, she takes my hand, takes a hold of my wrist and rubs it on this brand new painted wall, textured wall of this shop. She goes, yeah, I just wonder how you're going to do it. Oh, you poor man. I wonder how God's going to do it. He goes, God's been taking care of you, Tim, ever since you were born. That same is true for you. Been taking care of you since you were born. And He doesn't have any intention of not taking care of you. He wants to take care of you. You see, circumstances did not stop the Macedonians from trusting God with their limited resources. And we all have limited resources. But the circumstances didn't stop them from giving. And they shouldn't stop you. And the reason they didn't stop it is because they believed God would take care of them. He would take care of them. Look what Paul says to the church at Corinth. Now he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. He says God will supply your seed. Notice the seed, the bread. There's a, there's a jump. You know, and not, and not only that, your storehouse. And He'll give you a harvest. Proverbs 3 says it this way, In everything you do, put God first, and He'll direct you and crown your efforts with success. He will take care of you. Matthew 6, I love the way the Living Bible says this. So don't worry at all about having enough food and clothing. Why be like the heathen? Your Heavenly Father already knows perfectly well that you need them. And He'll give them to you if you give Him first place in your life. And live as He wants you to. So don't be anxious about tomorrow. God will take care of your tomorrow too. you believe that? The only way to know is you've got to test it. You've got to try it. See if it's true. I can tell you, I've been a Christian uh, old as a home, oh my gosh, over 40 years. And God has took care of me. He has took care of me. Psalms 37, as we close, says these words I want to encourage you with. The reason I put it in is I'm going to be 61 years old next Friday. And um, I know this is a, I once was young, yeah. And now I have a gray beard, yeah. Not once have I seen the abandoned believer or his kids out roaming the streets. Every day he's out giving and lending. His children make him proud. Did you notice something? He says, I've been, I've been around a long time, Tim, and I'll tell you what I've noticed. I've noticed that God takes care of the believers and His kids aren't out begging for bread every day. Here's what I see in this believer. Every day He's out giving and lending. He's a generous person, in other words. Let me encourage you this morning. I don't know where God is in your life. Just ask yourself, what do you find yourself thinking about the most, talking about the most, planning around the most? What are you worried about the most? That's probably where you're going to find what's first. First on your mind. How would things change if God was what you were thinking about the most, talking about the most, planning around the most? How would things change? What would change today if you decided, you know what, I'm going to put God first with my finances? Would my spending habits change? Would my savings habits change? Would my giving change? Would I share 
what I have with others? You see, when God's first, He changes it all. He wants to change your life this morning. You have a card in your bulletin. I want to encourage you to uh, think about just where is God in all this? Where's His pro- where, where is He in your priorities? What would He say? Is He first or is He just uh, second? Another, another way to say last. What do you need to change? What do you need to work on? What do, what, what do you need prayers with? We're going to give you a chance to fill out that card and while we sing a song, and then we're going to sing another song and take up those cards along with our regular contribution. And let me remind you, if you're a guest today, a guest here at Greater Alton, you're under no obligation to give when that plate goes by. We say that almost every Sunday. and it's, Why do we say that? Because it's true. We really believe this. You know, We're not wanting you to be here to get something from you. We want you to receive something. And we hope you have. Well, let's pray and then we'll be through. Father, thank You for uh, Your Word, Father, that's so powerful. Lord, give us a heart full of gratitude. The kind of heart, Father, that will, that will express itself in a generous way, whether it's our time, our talent, or our treasures. Father, a special contribution is coming up in just a couple of weeks, Father. And, and Father, we pray. I pray, Father. We pray as a church. We pray to help us be good and faithful servants. Father, I think there's a reason the amount is missing in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 because it wasn't about that. That wasn't the goal. The goal was gratitude. Father, are we counting our blessings? Would you remind us of all the blessings you really have given us? Sometimes, Father, I pinch myself. I just pinch myself and go, wow, you're just so good to me. Father, help us see how good you are and let that gratitude just fill our hearts until it overflows into our time, our finances, into our talent, into our relationships. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.